0: You're listening to the HC Hive, a podcast about human-computer interaction and design work. I'm your host, Jordan Chen, and joining us today on the podcast, we have a very special guest, Ryan Rumsey. Ryan has over 20 years of leadership experience on product and design teams at companies like Apple, Electronic Arts, and USAA. He is now the CEO and founder of Second Wave Dive, where he speaks to designers about how to approach working with business-minded partners, which we will be discussing on today's episode. So thank you for joining us today, Ryan.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah. excited to have you on the show here. And, um, you had previously talked to a large group of the MSHCI class at Georgia tech about, this broad topic of design work with business stakeholders. And so I thought I'd bring you in to, you know, talk a little bit more about that, but before we dive into that, I'm always. I'm really curious about how designers decide on following a career into design work. And so I, I want to get a little bit more about your background. So would you mind sharing a little bit about how your journey started? Uh,
1: sure. Um, I'd say um, if there's one word, uh, it can be accident. Oh, really? um, I, I never really intended to be a designer. I, um, now I, I, I grew up Uh, doing a lot of art. So I I was doing a lot of drawing and painting and doodling, you know, uh, all these types of things and did a bunch of portfolio development type classes while in high school. But then, um, you know, my parents were in uh, finance and, uh, you know, banking. And so they kind of really drove me uh, uh, to this mindset that uh, being a starving artist would not be such a fruitful life. So I happened to be okay at math, uh, as well. And I ended up, um, going to school to be an engineer, uh, but hated it. A- and so what I ended up doing it is, uh, uh, kind of playing around on computers at night. Um, so I started university in 92 and of course the World Wide web came out, you know, the following year. And suddenly there was this whole sort of world of HTML and websites and Uh, Photoshop that I kind of exposed myself to. And so I was more in the tinkering mode while (laughs) studying other things. And um, so kind of just by accident of, of breaking things, of putting them back together, and then friends figuring out that I could do that and asking me to do things for them and and for a good long time um, even when I started my professional career it was just side work it was just what I would do um, when I wasn't doing my regular work and um, that's kind of how I got into it um, I, I, it was a, a fortunate time to sort of stumble into something where where there weren't a lot of people doing it <laughs> and so uh, it was this you know unique space to just kind of play around and you know say yes to a lot of things that maybe i shouldn't have in in retrospect Hmm.
0: so how does that lead into you know finding i mean i guess at the time that you're looking to you know really start developing your career and looking out to these various companies what does that process look like from a sort of tinkering background yeah
1: so um i'd say Uh, I was far less mature than maybe the uh, students are at uh, (laughs) uh, you know uh, Georgia Tech because I I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, University for me was more about uh, self-discovery than it was having focused goals and me uh, you know uh, achieving those goals. Um, in, In fact I don't know that I could directly say that I had those types of goals when I was 18, let alone 22. Um, So going out and finding a job was not something I kind of intentionally looked at doing in this field uh, until later on. So it was about five or six years after I had kind of worked a few other jobs that uh, I started taking it uh, seriously and, and doing it more full time. And then I met my wife and wanted my weekends off. And, you know, it was like, well, I, I, maybe I guess I'll, I'll give this a go and, and take it, you know, seriously. And at, at that time, um, I had been doing side work for long enough that people kind of knew that I was doing it. And I, you know, just had a friend of a friend who worked at E entertainment uh, which was uh, uh, the TV channel E if you're familiar with that it was owned by Comcast and so I got a job as a web producer at E online and that was my first you know corporate job I had been doing a bunch of random websites for a long time before that but that's kind of how I fell into it and then I was really really fortunate both um, at E and at other uh, places to just have tremendous mentors and environments where uh, people just handed me work uh, and uh, gave me sort of that space and and safety to just go figure it out. And it was how I sort of um, began uh, building out, you know, aside from websites, large scale web applications. And strange things that a lot of designers don't work on like intranets and extranets and focused on things like customer experience and employee experience, you know, back 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, And so uh, it it was all accidental. (laughs) Like I mentioned before there, there's the, the drive to a career was more personally, (laughs) personally, Uh, motivated uh, me wanting a weekend off so I can hang out with my wife and not have to do hustle work.
0: Interesting. Huh? Cause I feel like a lot of the people that, I mean, even at Georgia tech in this master's program, a lot of people sort of stumble into HCI. Mm -hmm. Um, it's very, I mean with, with HCI being a relatively young field, it's not typically something that people go into, you know, from, or at least set their, set their sights on at an early age. Right. right. It's something that's sort of uncovered through discovery and you sort of stumble into it based off of some sort of line of where your interests lead you.
1: That's into, right. right, so that, that for sure. I, I ended up studying history while in university and that was a fantastic foundation in uh, doing research. And right. you know, applying you know humanities and, and liberal sciences, these types of things, that, that I was constantly fascinated with, which was, which was more about how people got along and how people worked with, with other people. How I sort of stumbled into this sort of HCI, I, I would really consider myself an interaction designer at heart, right. yeah. Um is this weird blend that I, I knew how to do research. I knew how to develop and code, but I was still doodling. Right. And, and this kind of weird, um, weird mix. I remember even talking to my parents while I was in university saying like, I just wish people would pay me to, to be me. And, but there, there weren't these jobs necessarily out there that, Uh, really into the early 2000s started to pop up that were kind of focused purely on things like user experience. Um, even, even firms like IDEO and frog, they were still kind of more focused in the industrial design space. And I was just super naive to that stuff at the time. Mm -hmm. And, and so never even got there. Um, so, you know, a lot of luck, a lot of curiosity that, that research mindset, uh, has stayed with me and and I think what has it's been fortunate for me is I go into a lots of rabbit holes and that's how I find things Um, you know speaking of podcasts I've always wanted to do a podcast just on rabbit holes you know Mm. like finding some random topic and then bringing an expert in and to talk about that topic you know
0: yeah I think that's particularly well suited or I think that's a personality trait that Many Many designers tend mm-hmm. to have or user researchers who are very who are you know interested in looking at these you know how do you improve experiences or how do you provide value to mm-hmm. a user, and you sort of jump down that rabbit hole of what is the user's current experience, like what is their mindset, right. what is the core experience that they're trying to trying to capture. Yeah. Um, It was um,
1: really fortunate for me, just again, the sort of jobs that I ended up getting Mm -hmm. where my primary audience, the primary users were my colleagues. So the ability to just naturally do guerrilla research, naturally just go walk over and observe and do qualitative type work without permission was super advantageous um, uh, for me. And um, because they were colleagues, it was always about a business outcome. (laughs) You know, it was all about sort of productivity, um, uh, uh, enhancing people's abilities to make decisions, you know, in a more effective way. Hmm. Um, So yeah, a lot of luck and fortune, and then great mentorship. To.
0: Yeah, I think that, that goes, that segues really well into sort of what you're, what you talk about now with sort of designing with business partners
1: mm-hmm. in mind.
0: And when you talked with the, the class uh, previously about this topic you had mentioned, you've really stressed the importance of being able to find that sort of language mm-hmm. to talk with, with business-minded partners. And I wanted to ask you how you sort of came to this realization or to this, this idea that this needs to be flushed out more among um, designers as a whole.
1: Right. Um, I think uh, this particular space became interesting for me uh, because most designers only spend about three to four years in these sort of primary you know, sort of craft functions where you're spending the majority of your days in front of the computer, in front of, you know, your core design tools, uh, whether (laughs) pick your, pick your flavor of the day because it changes every day. Um, and then the, your career sort of shifts over to working with cross-functional partners. So a lot of, uh, the focus of a career and, and your work is then trying to get alignment and working with others and understanding their perspectives. And it's in this work of understanding other people where it sort of shifts away from just pure design work to actual more like liberal science background type stuff, you know, sociology and uh, psychology, if you will.
0: Mm -hmm. And,
1: um, Designers come from a pretty interesting space because the way they approach problems is really geared towards that type of understanding um, the The sort of visualization uh, uh, approach we use to creative problem solving is actually great to break down. Um, Communication gaps, and to break down uh, misunderstandings uh, around what is uh, uh, people are aligned to, or people what people have agreed uh, uh, um, with, and um, so that's sort of where I started getting interested in it. It was at the time that design thinking was becoming pretty popular. Right, design thinking was you know intended to essentially help executives problem solve in a new way but that secondary focus was sort of introducing the design language nobody has actually helped designers or product managers or developers understand sort of business thinking nobody's intentionally going out and developing that type of curriculum Uh, uh, yet uh, in these new empowered team models that a lot of uh, sort of uh, San Francisco-based startups or or Amazon or New York sort of companies are focused on, There, that's a lot of trust that you're placing into sort of functions that don't come from traditional business backgrounds. And so I just started seeing this gap, and, and that created this kind of interest for me to sort of say, could we gain a business perspective but keep our design mindset at the same time And that's just sort of the work that I started doing naturally with my own teams. And it it became uh, an area of focus that uh, was more and more compelling to sort of, not just designers, but but also sort of that whole product team uh, structure.
0: Interesting. So what does that work look like? I mean, how do you sort of implement these sorts of strategies or what kind of strategies are we talking about?
1: so if you think of um, say a design thinking approach or you know your hcd approach you have your multiple phases whether it's empathy you know discover define these sort of steps or you use a double diamond approach to sort of diverge and converge around problem solving i started to loop those over um uh, but introduce kind of business, different business tools into those frameworks so um what happens if we empathize with our colleagues just do empathy maps with the people that we work with we may then begin to think about not only what our customers need and want but actually what jobs our colleagues have to do and what is painful for them and they're going to be more motivated to help solve this customer problem if it also resolves their problem too and Layering things like ecosystem maps to just visualize the business model is a great way as well to sort of say, instead of getting these old school MBA style structures, what we're really talking about is just, you know, the lines and arrows that sort of say, here's how an interaction exists. Can we just visualize this model? And it turns out um, that visualization tool, it's been super successful with with design thinking, that's why it sort of helped promote it so well, um, that our product and our business friends didn't actually have those visualizations themselves. And it was a this sort of really interesting way that I started incorporating or borrowing, if you will, other tools from other areas. Uh using a, a, a workshop sort of style of format, uh, try them out, see how they worked to sort of see which of these things stuck and, and which of these things sort of started to help collaborative teams just kind of get on the same page earlier on in the process.
0: Have you seen any sort of challenges for designers to cross that barrier or to be able to to transition sort of these tools that they've used primarily in a design, design focused mindset towards a more business minded sort of business focused mindset.
1: Right. Um, yes. And it's always psychological. It's always a willingness and a desire to change oneself. Uh, the capabilities are there. Uh, um, what's, Interesting though, is if you, you know anything about change you know theory or, or behavior change uh, from academia, uh, a lot of these aren 't a matter of whether somebody can or can 't do something it 's more of their willingness to do it and so um, there 's no doubt that designers could go into like an MBA program and learn some things. Uh, I'd say a lot of designers have intentionally decided not to do that because it's not interesting for them. What happens, though, over a career, though, is that the designers who become really sort of successful and become those sort of design executives that, that, you know, a lot of people talk about is they have to learn that stuff eventually. And rather than thinking about just the pure financial model side of things, Um, there are other aspects of how business gets done. It's really around like competitive advantage, you know, adoption, things like trade off decisions where it doesn't always have to come down to knowing the math, but just being aware that the math is being done, uh, where numbers are derived by and using that as sort of a focus to, um, uh, 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 you know speak to uh, uh, to use as your language uh, uh, to talk to your counterparts
0: so on that note you've worked with you know organizations of all sizes but plenty of like large scale corporations and I wonder what is sort of the accessibility of um getting some of these business uh, business focused like facts or like these figures for a designer like what is the work that needs to be done from a designers and to cut through some of the maybe like the red tape around um some of the business aspects of of a a project
1: yeah so when i think of business i think more about like how business is done Mm -hmm. yes sometimes there are facts and figures that kind of drive decisions but there's a lot of decisions that are made that are very instinctual, sort of gut-driven, or uh, if you've ever worked for a large corporation, you may hear something like, well, Amazon is doing it this way. I think we should do it that way too. And the problem with those approaches is they simplify very, you know, complex ways of working. And in fact, if you were to go do what Amazon does, uh, the reality from a business perspective is they may already have a competitive advantage in that area. They may already have a head start. They're making those choices specifically for Amazon value and for the value of Amazon customers. And it's that sort of ability to talk in that way that I think designers are not Uh, attacking very well with their business. We, We kind of always just talk about customers. Customers want this, want that. But that's an end to a mean, if you will. We want our customers to want that because inherently we work inside an organization that's trying to create some type of competitive advantage, win, stay in business, all these types of things. I think some of the simple steps that pragmatically you can take is just to treat your colleagues in the same way that you might approach, say, a user. What's working well? What are you know the opportunities ahead? Why do you think I'm here, right? What's your definition of design? These, these sort of basic questions to get an understanding of where they're coming from, what their perspectives are is, is a great first step that I don't think enough designers are, frankly, uh, you know, anybody in a specific field then asks about their colleagues. It's it's easier to sort of say, well, if that developer wasn't here, everything would be great. Uh, the hard work is to actually go sit with the developer and say, hey, I'm curious about what, you're, what you do and what your accountabilities are. What's difficult about that? But that's where we as designers, uh, especially those who go through master's levels programs, uh, like HCI, you're just geared up to to kind of know how to do that stuff. And if you just sort of flip it and transpose it and say, whoa, my colleagues are humans too, you can make these huge leaps in just understanding how to sort of bridge those gaps. How do I get both a customer need and a colleague need at the same time? That sounds like a wonderful design problem to solve.
0: What is What does this look like in terms of team team team-based work where you're working with a team of designers you know i feel like a lot of designers tend to relegate them to specific roles on teams and maybe don't feel particularly i guess positioned to to have those conversations with with stakeholders is there work that can be done across a team to to equip you know everyone in this in this sort of framework
1: Yeah. So when I think of teams, I think of two different types, right? So you mentioned design team, which is like a design organization. One of the first things that I would say a design organization has to be really good at is having a clear and consistent answer to what design is at the organization you're in. I go to designers if I'm new to a company or new to an organization or I'm consulting with them. And the first question I ask is, what is great design? I never get the same answer. So if you go to 10 different designers on a team and you get 10 different answers, what do you think your business partners hear? They hear uh, a bunch of different answers. They think we're all making it up. We're just being subjective and uh, there are no guidelines or rules. And so what that then results in is a lack of trust. I, right. I I can't trust you because I get a different answer from anybody. So because I can't trust you, I'm not actually going to sort of involve you in some of these decision-making you know, uh, scenarios that I think a lot of designers want to be in. So I think the first thing that design teams can do is just define what design is, but contextual to their workplace. What I mean by that is... If you look at, say, the business of Apple versus the business of, say, Dell, both companies are, you know, their business model is to sell consumer products, consumer electronics. How they go about that is very different. Apple, you know, wins in the market because they have superior design. Uh, they're targeting uh, um, a, a much different customer segment than Dell, and uh, they're all about integrated systems. So if you're using an iPhone or a, a Mac, you know the, the the ability to sort of move from one device to another just works. Dell, on the other hand, that's not how they win from a business perspective. They have superior supply chain. They they cut out the sort of you know, a large part of the operational costs to make computers. So they sell computers at a much cheaper, lower price. And as a result, the the then question that I would ask for, uh, say, a design team is, does your does design need to be defined the same at Apple as it does for Dell in order to be successful? Uh, it doesn't. Uh, uh, in fact, it's directly related to sort of that business model that. Uh, need for maturity at a certain point uh, uh, from one place to another. The other side, I think, are product teams. I think the o- the evidence is overwhelming from from study after study. Those collaborative environments, sort of um, uh, teams that work collectively, uh, uh, are empowered to make decisions together, um, outperform you know, siloed off teams and not just in productivity, but you can see it in the business outcomes as well. When it comes to those teams, then you again have to sort of say like, what is then great design for this one specific product? And that might be different than say a product across the hall, you know, so you could have two designers on the same design team, but their products are very different. And so therefore there's this, Uh, a need to have similarity and consistency of what good design is across products, but then a very specific uh, uh, understanding and definition of what's going to be specific within that one product. What I mean by that is, you know, uh, usability might be the sameness. We want both products to be usable, but one might be more usable because of a reduction of time on a task while another might be uh, more usable because it reduces the number of errors. And so it's this sort of level of maturity that you need to bring to the conversation uh, uh, that, you know, um, is is a different type of conversation for a designer rather than just thinking we should just make great things to make great things.
0: Interesting. So then you've mentioned that, you know, the work that a lot of HCI or people who come out of these HCI programs or, you know, designers, they're already equipped with the tools necessary to take on these sorts of like this empathy focused work mm-hmm. with, with, uh, with business stakeholders. But um, I wanted to get a little bit more information about sort of forming this common language outside of just, you know, outside of the design language. Right. And how do, we, how do we come to a consensus with our business partners on a common language?
1: I think one of the first things that designers should realize um, is more often than not, unless we're in a startup where we're a founder, more often than not, we are coming to an environment that existed before we were there right we're we're bringing a new culture into an existing culture and so if again you go back to sort of um the academic side the theorem theoretical models around change change doesn't happen when a new culture just says you're wrong i'm right (laughs) change happens when that new culture goes wait can i first identify the existing culture and then work my way into that language so if we're talking about the, the sort of basics that you can do when you come into a company, they're, they're just fundamentals around, oh, how does the company make money, right? right. What, what is the model? How might I, uh, you know, when I say model, is it like, are we a freemium? Based model? Do we give our products and services away for free and then charge later? Uh, are we a subscription model? So kind of just understanding these basics of how the company say, exchanges uh, a data or a service for money. It's a super helpful way uh, to sort of uh, start that engagement. Right. Um, but then there's also things of like, how do you make a decision? right? Do you typically make a decision um, when numbers are used? Uh, Or do you typically make decisions when a bunch of executives in a room are chatting with each other and they have no data and then they just determine that one's going to be right for the day? There's this kind of evaluation of the culture that you're coming into. And it's not much different than evaluating how a customer decides to choose one product or another.
0: Right.
1: It's not that much different than, um, you know, choosing to click the blue button versus the green button. Like it's, it's still through this same sort of observation where you can put a research hat on for a second mm-hmm. and say, Hmm, when, um, Jane's in the room, everybody sort of, uh, allows Jane to make the decision. Right. And then everybody runs off. Right. And then if you then know that that is the, the pattern of how that culture works, you're in a position to anticipate that. Right? Yeah. And so that then goes, okay. So if we know that Jane likes to be the one that makes the decision, perhaps we don't come in and present um, one recommendation that we've made without her. Perhaps we come in with a few scenarios and then let her make a decision based on the scenarios. But these are all scenarios that we can live with.
0: And so once we understand sort of the language in which these sorts of decisions are being made under and how we can best communicate with them, we can then, as designers, better communicate the consensus that we have made on our teams about what good design is as well. so that our business partners can also understand how um, the design teams function on their level.
1: So the value proposition canvas is essentially, um, it's a diagramming tool, right? uh, Where you're using Post-its, but you're essentially saying, what do customers need to get done? What's painful about getting that thing done? And then what do they potentially gain if they're successful? So it's a way to kind of map Uh, uh, is, simply put, what what they're trying to do. And then you as a company say, okay, so we provide this thing of value that relieves a pain, or it provides this gain, if you will, and that's our offering. That's our value proposition. So that's what we're going to tell them we're providing to them. When it comes to, say, design teams or designers, using that same approach, my colleague, What do they need to get done? What's painful? What might they gain if they're successful? You can then position design as merely a value to them, right? I'm here to help you reduce the number of errors. Mm -hmm. Then they're not going to care about how you do that. (laughs) Uh, And it's if you're not able to sort of speak to what their pain is or what they want that's when they start to go like, I question how you're doing this because you have yet to tell me using a language that's you know I associate with or you know verbs that I care about. Right. Uh, uh, you keep talking about humans and all this other stuff, and mm-hmm. and meanwhile you might be sort of ignoring that in their head they're going, I'm a human. I have I have needs too right and so it's just this kind of way to position and be aware of their needs as well and uh, you know this is where all this research work the work that is primarily focused on customers if you just change customer to colleague you're golden <laughs> you're there you have the techniques um and it's activities that you can do in just like short hours what if uh, dis- so what i teach design teams to do is like what if you were to apply a design sprint approach what if you're just to take five days to map out the business and to get to know your colleagues that's way better than where you were five days before that uh you know what if at the end of the week instead of doing a regular design critique on the design itself with only designers What if you were uh, doing a critique of the needs of a product manager, it's just a way for a design team to sort of really rapidly kind of understand that the equation involves more than customers and that companies are hiring you, yes, to help customers, but primarily to kind of create an advantage for them to help more customers, if you will.
0: So you've now made this sort of your whole, your whole career, right? <laughs> Where you're talking about the value of, of um, bringing design approaches towards, towards our business partners and being able to develop these skills within design teams to communicate across teams. And I wanted to ask you, how did you see this as being a space for you to you know shift your career towards and what motivated you to you know create your own your own company to focus in on this? So I
1: think being in the trenches, not only with, with designers, but everybody who's involved in sort of creating products and services. And, and that even includes partners like human resources or finance who are sort of you know, other functions, but they're all kind of there to help do this. The biggest problems I see is just people working together effectively. And um, what has been a passion for mine over the years is, is sort of mentoring. (laughs) Uh, uh, It's, it's, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of mentors, um, great mentors through my career. Uh, they trusted me to do things, and I really enjoy sort of then providing that space for us. So that's one reason why, is is to sort of say I, I enjoy helping other teams become more successful at being teammates. The second reason is, yes, I've seen a lot of Uh, sort of instruction and focused beyond the craft side and that's super important and then I see the realities of what happens when these people have uh, a sort of no choice but then to be a manager uh, right or or a director of of other people and they've not been given any type of professional development any type of training um, when it comes to that uh, and so that's another big piece because that's that's where a lot of people start to struggle. And lastly, it's just a lifestyle choice. I've I've been working at large companies for fifteen years, and um, it's a grind. It's you know it can be exhausting. Uh, uh, my particular focus the last ten years has been somebody to lead digital or cultural transformation. And what that means is I, I come in uh, with a target kind of on my back uh, because not a lot of people really kind of want to go through that process, uh, which means I have to spend a lot of time sort of walking people through. And that just has exhausted me over the years. So as a lifestyle choice, what if I can just go out, kind of do that same work, not have to be involved so much in the day-to-day grind of it, Um, help other people do it for themselves Um, and then you know have the time to be much more flexible with my family Uh, uh, you know make a decent living be my authentic self you know uh, work remotely so if we we go and spend a month somewhere we can I can just work on the road and, and kind of have those choices so that's that's the motivation thus far and it's still relatively early in the journey and uh, it's
0: been fun. Cool. Well, wish you well uh, on that journey. Thank you again for, for agreeing to speak with us today on, on the podcast. And um, I'm sure a, a lot of what you've shared with us today will be particularly valuable, especially for a lot of these new um, designers like myself who are coming through, who are going through these sorts of design programs and entering um, the workforce.
1: Cool. I, I will mention there's um, much more pragmatic stuff coming. I've got a, a book coming out in uh, late February, early uh, March. So Great. if you're familiar with uh, vision, yes, uh, they release a, a whole bunch of education type books through their DesignBetter.co co website. Um, so it's a free uh, book that's coming out and it's, uh, a, you know, over 20,000 words of much more practical steps that you can take, and here are actual workshop examples, and here are tool examples that you can use to sort of gradually gain these skills um, and not be left out on your own, if you will, to learn by yourself.
0: That's awesome. Could you mention that website where, you, where people can yeah. grab that in the so, future again? Uh,
1: it's designbetter.co. And that is the design education team at InVision, uh, led by Aaron Walter, uh, formerly of Atlanta. Uh, Actually, I think he's still there, uh, but he worked at Mailchimp for many years. And um, Eli Woolery, uh, uh, who uh, is out of the Bay Area and is also a uh, professor at Stanford. So they provide a lot of education materials uh, sort of free to the community and um, I'm I'm fortunate enough to be working with them, collaborating with them. And yeah, the book will be out late winter, early spring.
0: Awesome. Well, definitely looking forward to looking through that book in the future.
1: Cool.